Hello and welcome to Pumped, the inside podcast by Schwalbe. I'm your host Tobias Wogon and I'm talking with Schwalbe athletes from different disciplines, from downhill to cross country and from road racing to triathlon. Today we're talking to Enrique Avancini. The Brazilian is the first racer of his country who ever stepped on a cross country podium and even become marathon world champion in 2019. He was supposed to race the Cup Epic together with Manuel Fumig, but the race got cancelled last second. How he got hit by the cancellation and how he's preparing for the restart of the season, you will find out in this episode of Pumped. Enrique, where are you at the moment and how are you? So I'm pretty good. I can't complain actually. Um, I'm pretty healthy, close to, to my family. I'm now in Petropolis, which is my hometown. Um, about an hour drive outside of Rio, up in the mountains, which is uh, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Actually, it is my favorite place in the world. So. Um, I can't complain to, to spend some time at home. Um, it's been it's been different and challenging for for few aspects, but uh, I, I'm having a good time. So happy days! Yeah, that, that's great. So um, as you say, you've grown up close to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and how did you get into mountain biking? Yeah, so so this place it's it's quite close to Rio, but it's. Um, The, the lifestyle of the town it's way more connected to to the countryside aspect uh, or to the mountain lifestyle um, so it's been always a place where people went to outdoor sports uh, for big hikings mountain bike riding and stuff like that and uh, my father was always kind of connected to cycling so he was um, a pro cyclist During, during the 70s and then after that um, he worked uh, he worked with agriculture a little bit and when I was uh, just a kid about six seven years old he opened a small bike shop you know so that was at the, the beginning of mountain biking uh, early 90s and um, I kind of grew up inside the, the service the service uh, shop you know. So yeah, I was I was just a freak, man. I was always like reading magazines, reading catalogs. I, I just loved that environment, and I always liked it to to see the guys, you know, leaving for training, getting back from training, and uh, speaking about the how was the ride and stuff like that. And I I just loved this this kind of environment, you know. So um, when I was eight years old, one of the customers drove into his garage with the bike. Um, at the roof of his of his car, and he he just broke the the frame in two pieces, you know. So by that time, it wasn't that easy to find to find materials and stuff. And it was a chromely a chromely frame, and um, yeah, my old man just just got this 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 frame and cut into pieces and uh, made a new a new small frame to me. And the the first mountain bike that I rode was built just from leftovers from this shop so 
it was uh, like a little, <laughs> a little Frankenstein. And, um, and yeah, from, from there on, you know, we started like racing. I was always like uh, training, I was hiding from, hiding from my parents, you know, because I was always like running away from home and uh, exploring the mountains around. And I just love it that that was how I spent my, my childhood. And this bike, by chance, two, around two, three years later, after I got it, I was in a race and I, I missed the turn and I just rode into like um, a wall and I broke the frame again. And uh, I mean, there was nothing we could do. We couldn't repair a second time. So it was four years, you know, like uh, just just on a, on a side, on a, on a corner of the shop. And uh, I think it was pretty lucky because that was the only reason why I kept my, my first mountain bike, you know. So I still have this broken frame with me, which is really good to take a look and remember my, my roots into this sport. Yeah, it's, it's really funny that you even raced on this bike, <laughs> which was already broken. So, but, but how long, um, Yeah, how long did it take until you got your first top bike? Yeah, so my, my first real bike that I got, I think, was in uh, 2002. It was kind of like the first support that I had from someone. And uh, I got this, this uh, bike for racing. Uh, so th that was actually the first bike that I had, you know, the, the, the ones before it was always like uh, from leftovers at times we were putting something new on the bike but it was always like okay now let's change the frame okay now let's change the wheels okay let's put some uh, clip pedals so it was always like small steps to to have a bike and uh, the first real bike that i got like uh, out, out of a box was uh, six years after i got this first frankenstein and uh That was that was gold, you know. The, this first bike was um, a really nice bike. I, I remember, I was I was one of the the very few riders that was using a CD, a Rockshark CD uh, with titanium, um, with with uh, the titanium details, and it was just just nice, you know, to have the like the the, the golden details on the on the shock, and uh, it was a nice bike. It was not a really Uh, top end bike but was on a really good level I think was pretty much like LX and XT Shimano so it was like a nice bike for racing yeah. and stuff uh, was, I still remember the bike was really really nice and beautiful so you love Brazil and you, you love your hometown town, but you decided quite early to leave Brazil and move to Italy to become a professional mountain biker how did it come to this? So yeah, that was the first try. It didn't it didn't come easily, I would say. It was back in 2009. So in 2008, I kind of got my first professional contract. So I was I was getting some money. I was using the sport to 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 uh, to get a purse on the at the law university. So I was doing half time as a as a law student and also half time as a pro racer. So what I was managing okay to kind of keep the dream alive, you know, to, to live out of riding bikes, but it, was, it wasn't enough, you know, and by the time the, the sport wasn't, wasn't big uh, in my country. And 
in 2009, you know, I, I got to the to the point I was 19, 20 years old, and um, we we or the brand that I was riding for got a pretty heavy hit from a crisis that we had that year, and uh, they they didn't know if they would continue the team or not for 2009, so they decided to pay the riders Jan and February. And uh, after that, they would decide mm -hmm. if they would continue the team or not. So I took I took those two months, uh, the money from those two months, and I decided, okay, that's it. You know, that's that's the push I need. I'm I'm gonna try something in Europe. So I took the all the money that I have, and I I, I booked a flight. I made a reservation, and I I flew out to Cyprus for four weeks of racing the, at the Cyprus Sunshine Cup, a pretty traditional op uh, season opener. And by the time, it was always like, uh, there was always good riders racing that. So <coughs> it, was, it was a nice chance to, to somehow test myself and also to try to, to find a team maybe. Um, so that's why, that's how I, I went to Europe. But it was pretty funny because I took the decision on a first day, I was flying out on a Friday, and I was racing on a Sunday, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> That's a I, tight schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it was, it was purely on emotional impulse, you know. I just, I just thought one day, okay, things are not going uh, the right way, so I need to change, so let's do it. And uh, the next day, in two, or actually two days later, I was in Europe, but... A lot of things happened uh, during this trip. First one was that I, I had no credit card by that time, and uh, I flew out with around two hundred euros on my pocket, uh, and I made a reservation, you know, on a hotel with full board for the f whole period for the four weeks. And my plan was to ride to the races, race, go back to the hotel, and uh, you know, I would have three meals. I would need to ride from 10 to 60 k's to the races, and uh, and yeah, that that was the shot that I took, you know. But once I landed, that, I and I went to the hotel to check in. The guy said, "Okay, you you have a problem because the reservation didn't accept your your credit card, uh, and I did when I was in Brazil using my my father's credit card." So it was refused, and and then I was in Cyprus with two hundred euros on my pocket, and I had to leave for four <laughs> weeks, you know. <laughs> and oh, uh, and then, yeah, and then it was pretty critical, you know, because I I had to to race and to be on top ten, because I just needed to collect some prize money and to survive the next week, you know, the following week. So it was was pretty was pretty crazy, you know. When I look back, I still. Um, I still get a bit shocked, you know, <laughs> with the situation that I that I end up because all of a sudden I was alone in Cyprus. I didn't know nobody by the time, anybody by the time, and uh, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to do, you know. I, I, the first thing I tried to do was to rebook my flight back home, but I didn't have enough money to <laughs> to do to pay the the penalty to that, you know. So I I just realized, okay, I need to survive those four weeks here. And by the end of that period, I got, uh, I eventually got a contract, you know, so that's how I ended up racing in Europe the, the next three, three seasons after that. That's a pretty cool story. 
to be honest. Um, to you, maybe <laughs> to then, me it wasn't nice to leave that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's better from the outside, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you stayed for three years in in Europe and raced, and but then how the how this first trip come to an end? Yeah. So when I look back, you know, the the idea we get. Uh, by the time, you know, it's that, okay, the Europeans know how to do that thing, you know, they, they know how to race mountain bikes. So you need to go there, you need to live their lives, you need to kind of become uh, an European to succeed uh, in mountain bike racing. So that was like the pretty normal way of thinking, you know, and that's what I try to, the, the way, uh, the path I try to follow. So I went to Europe, you know, and then I thought, okay, now I just need to train how the guys train. I just need to eat what the guys eat, you know. I just need to race the same races they they are going to. And uh, and then I'm going to measure what I am, you know, or what I can be. But when I look back, you know, I just, I just kind of, I become an, an average rider. I was kind of all right on few races uh, at times, you know, especially early racing. I was always kind of all right, setting, uh, achieving some good results. But during the, the the main season, you know, during the main events, I was just an average guy. You know, I was never outstanding, and uh, it was that that little by little, you know, kind of became uh, something bigger and bigger in my mind. So, and during my last season there, or just before the last season, twenty twenty eleven. I just got a call from my from my team manager by the time, you know, and, and he just said, Hey, you know, you know what, uh Avancini, you should you should kind of rethink about your career, you know, because maybe you don't have uh, what it takes to race at this level. And um and that was actually true, you know. It was something really hard to listen. Uh but that was the true. Um with the level I had at, at the moment, I, I was just going to be um someone else, you know, in the Peloton. And I had like a really big disadvantage, which was coming from Brazil. So even if I was traveling from Brazil to Europe just twice a year maybe, this added a, a lot of costs, you know, to, to a team to have me uh, on board. So when I was in Europe, I had some expenses. When I, when I had to, to fly uh, from home uh, and back home, that, that's a quite a, an expensive thing for, a, for smaller teams. And, and you know, if, if there was like a, another guy, which is an European rider, uh, delivering the same, the same um, level of performance that I was, there was no reason why uh, someone should keep me in the team. So I got to this point, you know, and 2011 was was my last year as a under 23 and also my last season in Europe. And uh, I came back to Brazil in 2012 uh, to to fight for an Olympic spot to to race the the um, internal criteria to the London Olympics, and during. Uh, half of the season to July, I had absolutely no sponsor, so I was racing really small regional races, you know, just to grab some small prize monies to make uh, to make some cash and to pay to pay the trips for for the bigger events, you know. So it was 
really, I was really on the edge of, um, on following a professional career, on being able to keep that or just focus on something else, you know, like finding a job or I was, I was getting old. I was already like 23 years old and I was, I was about to, you know, like just, just give up uh, racing because I needed to leave, you know, my family needed me and I wasn't doing any, any money and, and I had no uh, positive perspective, you know, on regarding the sport. So that was pretty much the edge, you know, I was, for a few months I was just about to be forced to not quit, you know, but I had to change uh, my life some way. Yeah. But now you ended up in one of the professional, if not the professional team in the World Cup circus. So how did you get back to Europe and into this team? So, yes, uh, I need to go uh, two years before that or three years before uh, signing with Cannondale. Because during the time, um, like mid-2012, I signed with Caloi, a Brazilian brand that was repositioning themselves in the marketing. So they were relaunching uh, high-level products, carbon bikes and stuff like that. And they needed a rider to communicate that. And once I signed with them, you know, I just add a lot of value because I added some values on the team project afterwards, on product de development with the brand, so on communicating. So I was really, really proactive on that. And also besides that, I just took that, uh, that call that I received back in 2011 when my team manager said, you don't have what it takes to, to race on a high level. And I just decided, okay, that's, uh, that's true. And I need to change the, the, the way I'm working or the way I'm training. So after that, I just decided, okay, I need to take some deeper risks on, on training and I need to, to do some more than the other guys does, you know? So I try to, to dig on every possible area that I could uh, find some performance. And, uh, I was just pushing hard on trainings, doing some more sessions, mixing, um, different type of trainings, different type of recovery, different type of diet. So I was, I was really trying to, to find a better version of myself on and on. And I took, um, or I made a lot of mistakes during this process because I was always really on the edge. So at times I was over the edge and I had to, to take a few steps back and try it again. But eventually, you know, I was stepping up and then eventually I was riding top 30 on elite World Cups and then eventually on top 25. And then the chance appeared to, to sign with Cannondale. So the Brazilian market was kind of boosting by the time. And Cannondale bought Caloi uh, by the end of 2013. So all of a sudden the, the Brazilian market became really important to them and they, they wanted a Brazilian in the factory team. So... That's how I ended up racing for Cannondale in 2015. I had an all right level by the time. So I was uh, on top 20. My best world rank was top 15 uh, by, before I signed with Cannondale. So I was kind of um, a good rider on international level, but I was uh, nobody that someone would say, okay, this guy is going to be the, the next big thing. I was actually way, way far from that. And uh, and then they gave me a, a chance. At at the beginning, I would say it was really hard, but um, yeah, that was 
that was the start of the of the process, you know, to to become a, a good rider, top rider. Um, I watched a video of you packing your things for the World Cup, and you shows which bikes you, uh, which books you have with you. Um, one of them is a Bible. So, are you very religious, and does it help you with racing? Uh, I'm. I wouldn't say I'm religious because of the how I see the meaning of that of that word. But uh, I have a really strong and deep faith um, um, in God. So, if I would if I would answer you know your question, I, I would say it's not about how much it helps me on racing. It's how much it helps me on. As a human being, so that's how I see. You know, I think in the end, racing—it's what I choose to do. It's—it's it's actually riding bikes. It's—it has become uh, who I am in a way. So I really live the the lifestyle uh, in total. So I'm always uh, quite connected to to riding bikes or to the the bicycle culture. But uh, I would say, you know. When I, when I look back to, when I take a look, you know, into my my history, you know, as a as a person, as a professional, it's it's uh, it's pretty obvious to me to see God in everything, you know. So this uh, how I see, it, and I just try to to keep that alive in me, to to keep this conscious uh, alive in me, and uh, to never forget uh, where I got, and uh, especially how I got to to where I am now. So you had to work a lot to get to the position where you are now, and but it it still looks like you're super happy on the bike and you're just not getting tired of getting on your bike every day. Are most racers like this, or are there a lot of racers who just doing it for the money or for because it's their job? So the the main purpose be, be behind my career, you know, uh, on those days, I see the message that I can share with people because when you look to my my whole history, you know, I was never like a an outstanding guy on anything that I did in my life. But uh, I always believe that it doesn't matter how much talent I have, but it does matter how much I'm open to develop the the skills I got. Even if they don't, they don't look really impressive, you know, at the start. But uh, this is how I face life in general, and uh, especially as a as a bike racer. And um, I still see myself the the same way, you know. Even even if I become like a top rider, I'm number two in the UCI ranking, I finished third uh, in the World Cup last year and uh, marathon world champion. But to me, this comes like in a in second place because in first place i i keep myself open for my personal challenges you know and i still see and i understand that i'm not at my best yet uh, i still fail uh, in so many small things you know and i'm still <laughs> learning uh, how to take the the best out of myself and it's pretty easy you know once you start to to become successful in the sport especially on a high level uh, sport environment you you kind of convince yourself about your your level you know okay that's 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 uh, how good i am 
and that's it, you know, that's how I do things and, and that's it. And um, the, you kind of start boosting your ego, you know, and once you do that, you you stop trying to 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 find your uh, your weak points, you know, where where you still have space for improvement. And even on the things that I'm good on those days, I still understand that I, I still have something to to improve, to develop, you know, and um, this, that's how I see, you know, that's how I, I approach my career and I approach my, my life in general as well. Mm -hmm. So you're a very, very powerful writer. You're writing a lot out of the saddle and always all out. And especially on short tracks, you're mega strong. But you're also very good on, on long distance races. I mean, you just became marathon world champion. But what do you prefer the most? I like racing. <laughs> I, li I like racing bikes. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. And you know what? I think most of the times we, we tend to put labels on ourselves, you know, and to say, I'm good at that. I'm, you know, I, I can do this better. I can do that better. And uh, the same way I work, you know, so I'm, I'm always trying to, to be open to new things. It's also the same way I, I approach racing. And um, in the end, I, I take so much out of different types of racing. And I think that's the main reason why I can do well, you know, at short tracks. I won a couple of World Cups on short tracks. Um, I do fairly well in cross countries. I became a marathon world champion on stage races, you know, like Brazil Ride or Cape Epic. You know, I also have some, some wins and uh, some big results. So... Um, I think that's mainly connected to how how I see racing, you know, and I just love to be on the start line and to try to understand, you know, how I need to prepare for that race and how I need to extract the the best out of my body to to deliver myself to a nice result or to a, to the best result I can achieve, and. I just refuse, you know, to put labels on myself to say um, I'm good at marathons. I'm not good at cross country. I just try to see um, how much I can take out of short track racing in preparation for short track racing and to apply on stage races, on marathon races or cross country races, and the other way around, you know. So in the end, um, I think that I, I used to say that uh, racing is learning. And uh, I think racing is learning on any circumstances, you know. And once you learn from racing, you can apply on different types of uh, different formats. And uh, yeah, I, I I really believe on that. And I I think if when I take a look to my career now, you know, I can prove that um, that that makes some sense. Yeah. So you once said that your biggest goal is goal is to inspire people do you have the feeling that you reach that you reach a lot more people after you got world champion do you have a bigger impact now than before yes totally man totally just because my my speech before uh, becoming world champion was was the same but uh, it It's different, you know, uh, when you start speaking that you believe you're gonna, you're gonna become uh, one of the best, that you believe that you're gonna win uh, big races. Um, and it's beautiful, you know, when you, when you see that confidence or that faith in someone. 
but it doesn't really make you think about uh, the way you are facing stuff. And once I won the, the, the world title, you know, people that were following me uh, for a one year, two, five years or 10 years, you know, the longer they were uh, following me, uh, the hardest was to, to believe, you know, that I was still stepping up because my journey was always like stepping up. But, you know, even when I was like, uh, I was stepping up, but one thing it's uh, to step up from top 10, from top 20 to top 10, and then from top 10 to top five, and then from top five to winning. So I, I never stopped believing that I was going to step up again and again. And I was always speaking that to people, you know, because I was always saying, it's not because I'm special, it's not because I'm talented, but it's just because I keep believing and I keep working to, to the things that I believe. And uh, yeah, once, once you, you, you get that label, you know, you get that validation that in my case was becoming world champion and then people just stop, you know, for a moment. And so it happens so often when I'm, when I'm up the streets, you know, especially in Brazil, that people stop me, you know, and they say, they kind of apology to me, you know, because they say, uh, before I didn't believe, you know, that you would get that far. And now it's just, just beautiful to see that you got there and makes me to, to rethink, you know, about life in general. And to me, that's one... When I leave that experience, it's just great because this um, it's perhaps the most special thing that I live on my on my career. It's um, the the chance to get to this point where I made people rethink about the way they were facing their lives, uh, the way they were approaching, you know, like uh, their profession and or the sport or personal life. So um, this started happening more often after I became, uh, I became world champion for sure. So when you come to the European races, you're a really well-known racer. But in Brazil, you're, you're really your real star. So you have, you have your own TV show with more than 3 million people watching. So do you like to being famous in Brazil? So I, I always try to, to don't go... Um, the path you know that led me into being famous and i think i did that the right way uh, to this point so i actually I'm, i'm not that famous in brazil i don't consider myself that famous i but i do consider that i have a really loyal fan base so i think that that's that's a really important uh difference you know so when i when i got to a point especially after winning world champion the world champion title, I got the chance, you know, to go to many uh, open open TV shows, you know, to, to speak with uh, millions. And the Brazilians, you know, once you achieve something that nev uh, never before someone did, so like I, I was the first guy on this sport to, to become, to step up on a, on a World Cup podium, then to win a world title. So they get really emotional about that you know and they get really proud about that because they understand that it's not easy you know to go to a different different world and to to make your way through and once you do that you know you get a lot of these passionate support but uh i just choose you know to to 
um, strength myself inside the niche and uh, to strength myself inside the, the outdoor sports uh, uh, niche you know, or area or environment as you prefer. Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, it's like my TV show. My TV show, it has a pretty good range. Um, we, we are ranging like, um, we are going to over 3 million people. But those people, you know, it's like Signed TV and it's a channel of outdoor sports. So it's, we are speaking to people, with people that uh, it ha they have some sort of relation with the sport. And uh, that's, that's the path I try to follow. So, yeah, if, if answering your, your question, you know, if you ask me if, I'm, if I feel like a famous guy, I'm not. I don't, but uh, I do feel that I have a lot of uh, uh, really strong and, and loyal fan base behind me, which is good. I think it's, uh, it's even better than being famous. Definitely, definitely. And uh, it gives a good view of mountain biking. So and it makes it helps mountain biking to grow. Um, now we have this crazy situation with the coronavirus. When did you hear the first time about coronavirus? Well, I think it was late in 2019 when uh, things in China started. Uh, and then, yes, I, I, I had this feeling, okay, it's something is going to happen, you know, at some point. But uh, then we started racing. Um, I started traveling to South Africa. I did my first trip overseas. In December for the first training camp and then the second training camp was early Feb and then late February uh, I went to to Spain to to the Copa Catalana in Bagnoles a pretty traditional race and once I got back from there you know I realized okay things are still busy crazy busy in Europe you know like normal life but people are starting to react differently so I think it's gonna it's gonna come something like pretty heavy you know worldwide And after that, I went back to Brazil. I had uh, another race with big crowds and stuff like that. And then I flew out to the Cape Epic. During this trip, you know, um, once I left Brazil, I saw that there was a lot of movement, different movement in, inside the airport. And uh, once I landed in South Africa, you know, it was also, you know, people like uh, were moving in a different way. So the, the authorities were kind of preparing themselves for, for something. And then uh, that was just before the Cape Epic, you know, and then the Cape Epic got cancelled two days or well, one and a half day before before the start. And then I just I just asked the team to fly back home as soon as possible. And then the next day I was on a I was on a plane. And once I landed in Brazil, you know, I, I realized, okay, uh, the first big race got cancelled. And now the airport it's way more controlled uh, and we're probably going to face something something big and after that you know i just i remember i rang uh, dixie the performance manager of canon the factory racing and then i just told him hey dixie i i i need a week you know i need a week off uh, i always like to do that i learned to to do that you know every time i face something that uh, it's uh It brings an impact in my life, which is like a, something like a big win or a big loss or a big frustration or a big change in my life. I just need some time of a couple of days, maybe one or two days or a week. 
I need time to absorb, to understand what's happening, and then I make um, clear decisions in my head. So I, I always do that, and then I rang him and I said, Dixie, I need, a, I need a few days off, you know, because I need to, to absorb what, what's going on right now. And then I, I took a look on some news. I, I had an idea, you know, what, what could go uh, uh, related to the season and stuff like that. And then after that, you know, I started dealing super well with the situation. To me, it doesn't, it's not something that it's uh, bothering me or worrying me a little bit. I just take the precautions uh, needed and um, I do what I can. I control the things I can and I just deal with the things I, I cannot control. So this is how, how I see myself at the moment. So 2020 was going to be a very special year for you. Because as you said, you were at the Cap Epic and the plan was to join Manuel Fumig on his last Cap Epic race. And there was a, a, a clear goal. It was to win. Um, how hard was the situation when you get the text message that the race was cancelled? So, yeah, man, this, this actually, I think, uh, it was the hardest news I got during the season. And... Probably nothing's gonna beat that, you know, in terms of uh, like a professional rider, because there was this emotional piece, you know, behind the the epic that was just massive for for me, for money, and for the whole crew, you know. So uh, I I can't deny, you know, that I I felt the hit, uh, Manuel felt the hit, and the whole team got a massive impact, you know, on on Cape Epic cancellation. And uh, that that was something hard to deal with, you know, because it was his last season, or it is, it was planned to be his last season. And if you tell me if I'm if I'm sad that some World Cups got cancelled, if uh, Olympics got postponed, uh, World Champs got cancelled, all all those other races, you know, to me it's just okay to to deal with that you know because it's it's like a global situation uh and i just plan to be ready to when i'm i'm gonna be able to race again but in that case you know uh i wasn't sure you know i didn't know or i don't know if it would have us a, a next chance you know so that was the the last one and we were really prepared for that and once you you realize okay the the last chance it's not there anymore for you um it's it's quite something you know so i think this frustration in a way uh made me think a lot about uh life uh my career or my personal life or whatever many other things but i can't deny you know that was one of the biggest uh, frustrations that i had in my in my career as a as a bike racer so everyone everything um gets shifted to next year do you think there will be a chance next year for you and manuel to to finally get to race the cup epic and win it so to be honest i i didn't speak with him yet about that um so we are now around two months after everything happened and I, I never touched the the subject with him you know because when i look to mano he's a guy that he, he's on the circuit for 20 years and he he's always been such a, um, an ambassador for the for the for the sport 
and he gave a lot to the sport, you know, and I think at one point, the guy deserves a change in his life. Uh, he earned that. So I don't see myself in the position to to ask him, you know, hey, you could maybe extend your career another, maybe just another few months, you know, and we could attack the, the landscape epic together. <laughs> and uh, I think it's not that easy, you know, to, it's not an easy, an easy decision. Um, and I, I just hope that he chooses whatever it's better to him, you know, and whatever it makes him happy and um, satisfied with his his life. We had a we had a great run anyway, you know. Um, I would love to to win the epic riding with him. I'm pretty sure that he sees the same way. But um, we we had great moments together, you know. So I I respect whatever he decides for his future and I think it's still too early you know to make a, a decision to take a to take a position and uh, let's see what happens I think a lot of things comes to place you know uh, it was um, his last contract so he would need to renew his contract uh, Olympic year it's usually the final year of most of the riders contracts so I also need would need to renew my contract and uh yeah, there is a lot to to be discussed, you know, to be decided. So let's see what what the the future is going to bring for for us individually and also for us as as teammates. So talking about the future, you are very involved into Brazilians mountain biking and you lead your own team in Brazil. What's about uh, or what is about um, with Brazilian mountain biking? Will we see more riders from Brazil soon in the World Cup? Yeah, man, you probably will because the sport now it's I would say it's one of the main markets worldwide, and uh, we have a really solid um, uh, environment for racing, and we have big events, especially on mountain bikes, specifically mountain biking. Uh, we have big events. We have uh, a good and strong industry. We have uh, a good media coverage those days. And we have the investment behind the behind the riders. So what happened was the sport that grew up on the last uh, five six years massively. So the money inside the, the 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 bike industry just raised so much. But uh, the same way that the athletes were getting better support and they they were they could live out of the sport. They were not developing the, the the sportive side of the of mountain biking. So the racing side wasn't there. The marketing side was always like getting better and better. Uh, so we had more media, we had more channels, we had more brands, we had big bigger structures, bigger events, bigger crowds. But the level, the sportive level, was always like a little bit behind. And right now we are just uh, mixing those those two things a bit more you know so um after i started to perform well uh on a world level everyone started to to think okay it's not that we cannot achieve this level you know and once i started to to win big races or to to set really good results i got so much attention for myself but mainly for the sport that everyone said okay this the this is the way to 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 follow you know it's possible to get there And uh, once you get there, you can do way bigger things for the sport. Um, so 
everyone's mindset is changing regarding to developing the sport. And I started this project, my own personal project back in 2015. We started on a lower standard and we step it up year by year. And now we are on a, on a great level. We have a service course, we have a, a, you know, a performance center as well with gym, physio, physio office, you know, with where the mechanics work on the bikes, the warehouse, and it's everything connected. And we have two UCI teams right now under the same structure which is Cannondale Brazil Race and Caloi, uh, Caloi team. And uh, it's, it's been great, you know, to, to work on that side of the sport. So I make, I make uh, I'm also part of the National Federation Council that uh, um, set the, the, the guidelines for the sport in terms of events, in terms of uh, the, the development of high-level sports in the country. I'm pretty connected to every race organizer with uh, people from from biking industry uh, in general. So I try to to share a bit of my experience, you know, that I got from from overseas and also from from the years that I spent with the sport as an athlete and also inside the industry, you know. And I try to put things together uh, in a way that's gonna be good to everyone, to um, all sides of the of the balance and uh it's good to see even that i'm doing that as a as an individual you know so um i never i never turned my my back to to my personal responsibilities and now it's just good to see you know how far i got um inside the the development of the sport in my country it's really it's perhaps one of the, the biggest pleasures that i have in my life so you're a racer and you really like to to race your bike. And when all the corona stuff is over and racing gets starting again, what is the one you're looking forward to the most? Oh, I'm just looking forward to get green light. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have I I have this thing, you know, that at times, you know, people target too much a certain event, which I don't think it's wrong. Makes sense, actually. But from my side, you know, I like I like to race and I like to to search the win. And uh, uh, right now, I just hold on on getting better. That's that's my my personal goal, you know. So I'm using the the time that I have now for to train better, to train more, to train to become more efficient on my my way of working. And to be honest, I'm, I'm probably on the best shape I ever had uh, in my life. And we are still <laughs> a, probably a few months off from racing. But my main goal, you know, once I have the green light, I want to stand in the south line and I want to know that um, I'm probably going to be better than any other race that I did in the past. You know? So that's, that's how I face the situation. And once I get the chance, I just, I just want to race. Nice. So, yeah. Thanks a lot for your time. We wish you all the best for all your projects and your training. And yeah, hopefully the racing starts soon again. And yeah, thanks a lot for your time and talk soon. Thanks a lot, guys. It was a pleasure. I hope uh, you enjoyed some of the, the histories and my insights regarding the sport. I hope, uh, I hope you like it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs>